Good morning, Grace Place family, both on campus and online. We're so glad you're able to join us. I was thinking as we are here, arrived at last, uh, the last of the messages, and, and really we have not nearly exhausted this one book of Ephesians. We've been in since January, so if you ever think the Bible is inexhaustible, <laughs> um, there are so many uh, passages in Ephesians alone that we could revisit and a whole new line of messages uh, would come forward. But uh, we have gone through it and uh, with, with a sense of, of uh, you know, trying to understand and capture the big thoughts of what uh, God wanted us to understand through the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters. There are 66 books in this book. So it is inexhaustible. And every day it's fresh, and every day it's new, and every day it has a terrific meaning, and it empowers us. It is that which we feed on that's, uh, that helps us to make it day to day. It is the bread that Jesus was talking about of life, that we will never be hungry. It is the water that Jesus talked about where we will never be thirsty again when we really uh, actuate the Word of God into our hearts and our lives. We're looking today in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 14 through 20, and it is part two of what we started last week in terms of the spiritual warfare and uh, this battlefield kind of uh, picture that you're seeing right now for the, the uh, front logo of uh, spiritual warfare it looks intense, uh, but it is in many ways uh, not uh, unable. We're unable to depict what's really the fierceness of what's going on spiritually, the battles that are raging, uh, the the traps the enemy has set, uh, the intensity of that warfare, and all of us have been in this uh, battle on both sides of it. We've been victorious at times, and we have been beat down. And we find ourselves surrounded and encompassed. And it's one of the reasons that we need to gather together like we are online and gather together like we are here on campus to be encouraged by one another, to be uplifted and affirmed again by the Word of God. We can make it, and God is the one who's going to get us through this battle and this, this spiritual warfare. Would you mind standing for the reading of God's Word today as we look again at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 14? Stand therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith which, uh, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that, it, uh, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We're inviting your presence here today. God, uh, all of the things that are going on in our world uh, that we can see at times and are, are uh, invisible to us at other times, 
the spiritual warfare is directing and moving uh, humanity. And it is attacking, Lord, even us as believers and followers of Christ, that we would be aware of it, that we would stand firm in your righteousness and holiness and allow you to engage on the battlefield that we might be victorious. And we're careful to bring the praise and the glory for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, This is how I fight my battles. <laughs> Every believer uh, dwells in a spiritual realm and is going to encounter the battle with our adversary, the devil, uh, until Christ returns. It's an ongoing, day-by-day, moment-by-moment warfare that you are, I are engaged in. We need to remain alert, the Bible tells us, to Satan's subtle, fiery darts that are strategies that he's using to divide us, to deceive us, and to distance us from God but also to distance us from one another. You may have remember last week I just touched on one of the primary tools of the enemy is to work as the accuser. He loves to accuse God to us, right? We've all had that experience. We said, God doesn't care about you. You're going through a difficult time. He has, he has no interest in you. You're sick. You're not feeling well. You prayed. God didn't hear you. He doesn't care about your uh, specific needs and things that are going on in your life. And he, and he loves to accuse you before God. Go read the book of Job. He found a place right there in the court of God to accuse uh, all of God's people. And he's, he's interested in, in accusing you to God. God isn't listening uh, when we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ because he opens the page and says, what day was that that they did that sin? And the enemy tells him and he goes, oh, I don't see anything here but blood. It's the blood of my son. <laughs> It's covered it up. I can't see it. It's blotted out, the handwriting that was against them. And so, but he's always interested in that. He, was, he will accuse God to us, us to God, but he accuses us to one another. They, they aren't interested in your welfare. They're not interested in seeing you spiritually grow. Uh, they're, they're, there's, no, there's no one that loves you in that family. There's nobody that cares about you. They didn't call you when you were uh, you know, sick and when you went to the hospital and nobody reached out to you. And so he's really good at that. We've all experienced it. I won't even ask for a raise of hands on that, right? He is great as the accuser. He works every angle of that. Uh, we, are, we are unable to succeed, though, in this spiritual warfare or battle by engaging it with our own intellects, with our own strength, with our own power, with our own willpower. There's no way that we can win in the, in the spiritual realm, in this, in this battlefield. No matter how strong you are in the physical realm uh, with, with your brothers and sisters around you, uh, and it, you, you, have, you are hopeless to try to win this battle. It's not going to happen by might. It's not going to happen by power. It, it, it is only by God's Spirit. And so our role is that we must stand our ground in Christ and we must invite God into our battlefield. Stand our ground firmly in Christ and, and invite Christ into our battlefield, whatever is going on. And I, I find it amazing sometimes how, you know, how we don't do this simple practice. We, we do not invite him until way down the line, you know. Uh, often in my office over the 40 years of ministry, you know, they come knocking at my door when it's completely shipwrecked, all right? Not when it first started, not when the first red flag came up, 
not when the first little incident took place. And that is a sign that they did not invite God into the battlefield of their life until it looked hopeless and they were imprisoned. Marriage is about to, 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 to be destroyed. Uh, children about to be you know, estranged from the home and, and all of this. Then they decide, maybe we should invite God into this circumstance and situation. Our position in Christ will grant us authority for us to stand firm while the battle belongs to the Lord. I, there are many, many passages that tell us this, but 1 Samuel chapter 17, you may remember where David was uh, battling, he was going on the battlefield as a young man. You know, uh, it's just, if he didn't come there to fight. He came there to bring his brother some food, but he saw all of Israel crouching and hiding and the Philistines and, and their giant. Uh, he was huge. Goliath, he was standing up and he was taunting them, de- declaring they'd send out your champion against me. I'm the champion of the Philistines, and whoever wins the battle is, is, uh, takes the field for the day, and that's it. And he was, he was making fun of them, calling them every name in the book, you know, and, and David said, what is this stuff? Uh, don't, don't they, doesn't he fear the God that we serve? Doesn't he know that God could smack him down? And so David makes this, this speech right before he goes to battle with, with the Philistine Goliath. He says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. All those gathered here will know that it is not the sword or the spear that uh, uh, all those that are gathered here will know it's not the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. It's critical that we know that this, this war, this battle, is God's battlefield, and we invite Him. He's the one who's victorious, and we stand firm where he has planted us, not giving any ground. We stand firm because we stand in a position of victory, spiritual victory that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's been appropriated for us through the work of Christ. And it will be finished when Christ returns. Now we're just one day away from the full celebration of Memorial Day. We're full blown into Memorial Day weekend and we give thanks for all of those who served who gave their lives that we might enjoy the freedom especially for us uh, here uh, today the freedom of worship that we can come together uh, like uh, like no other nation and and worship him in freedom and uh, and some of those who who gave their lives uh, that were involved in in the allied forces uh, on that great battle in june 1944 a landing which in the, the history of the Second World War ensured the victory of the Allied forces. And history also records that although uh, they had victory on those uh, days that they were, they were going, uh, D-Day was, was, was unfolding and, and so many lost, so much loss of life, but they were pushing back and having great victory. And that that was actually the day that the tide turned. And the Allied forces were truly victorious. And Germans, though, uh, fought for another year. And and all the way back to Berlin, the Allied forces 
were, were forced to go. So even though we celebrate uh, on, on D-Day that there was a victory there, we all understand that V-Day came a full year later. The triumphal declaration came one year later. It's all over. And Germany came to the, the table and, and signed uh, and, and, and gave up and surrendered. And in many, many ways, this is a helpful picture, I think, for us as we're thinking about this spiritual warfare. Because in Christ, we have been victorious. We are victorious. And the enemy was destroyed at the cross. It was finished, right? But also, we understand that, that Christ lay, left us here and, and we are on the battlefield in the world to continue to carry the gospel message forward. And, and we are at war against the world. We're at war against the flesh. And we're at war against the devil. And that is a day-to-day a -day battle that you and I are fighting. And so it's helpful, I think, for us to think that, you know, D-Day, uh, Christ rose from the dead and, and we were victorious. But V-Day is coming when he returns <laughs> and sets his kingdom up on the earth and establishes it so that it's made clear. And I want it to be very, very clear for you that we are operating in Jesus from a position of victory. We are operating from a position of victory. So we don't ever have to look defeated. We don't ever, no matter what is going on in our world, no matter what people think about Christianity, uh, or no matter what they think about you know, uh, us as, as believers who worship God and give our lives to Him, we are victors in Jesus' name. Amen. Now with that said, we recognize that we're standing up against stiff opposition and that we are at war. And so uh, Paul begins to talk about uh, how we need to be equipped as we are at war. And so let's, let's roll through these. Uh, because you can smell the food, right? And you know what I know, that it's coming, right? <laughs> he begins by talking about the belt of truth. He said, first of all, putting on the belt of truth. I've tried to get some pictures that are fairly accurate to uh, what, what was the, the, the Roman um, uh, centurion, centurions and what they wore into battle. And, and it says, uh, he says, the, the, he wants you to put on the belt of truth, taking on the whole armor of God, that you are able to withstand the evil day. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, this belt was absolutely crucial because other pieces were attached to it. The, the breastplate would attach to it. And, of course, it had the, the scabbard for the, the sword uh, to be placed in. And, and so it was a, a crucial piece, the, the belt of truth. And what we have in the belt of truth uh, we read about earlier in Ephesians chapter 1 and 13, it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, what we have revealed in the, in the, in the belt of truth is we have uh, the, the gospel. Along with it, truthfulness of our relationships with one another are foundational to engaging in this warfare. The gospel as the truth and the, the, the truth of our relationships with one another in, in sincerity of worship unto the Lord. We have a stance in truth because the gospel is truth and, and we support 
you know, the an encouragement and training in our community for believers to, to understand this truth and to be able to put it into action. To be able to stand in society and declare the truth of the gospel. And to understand what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. To be able to, to differentiate so that when heresy comes, when false doctrine comes, when those who would, would penetrate and try to water down what the gospel is, that we know the difference. We know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are girt about with it. It is not something that's just hanging up in our bedroom that we can go look at or it's online, we can check it out and see, but it is something that we are living out and is, and is around us and holding everything else together. And then he says the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate of righteousness, uh, verse 14, objectively and subjectively, objectively first, so that the objective is uh, to, to us that we are clothed in righteousness of Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, the breastplate of righteousness is, uh, is indeed, in, in the spirit, we are clothed in the righteousness of God. It says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 30, Paul writes, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness holiness, and redemption. And you identify with it in, in, the, in the knowledge of 1 Corinthians that uh, also because of this truth comes up again and again for us in terms of, of our, our songs and our poetry. We're reminded constantly of the righteousness of Christ and how that is foundational in, in our walk and our understanding. And because that it's true objectively, it's uh, that there is righteousness which is, in, in our, is ours in Christ, what is true objectively then is revealed subjectively. In other words, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Not that they are righteous on their own, but they are practicing the righteousness of Christ who is in them and for them and living through them. And so to declare that I am clothed with righteousness of Christ and then to live an unrighteous life is to call our whole, uh, you know, faith into question, right? If I am living in the righteousness of Christ, I am behaving in the righteousness of Christ. Punch your neighbor. We would actually summarize, I think, the, the book of Ephesians well if we said that the believer is at peace with God and is at war with Satan. And so uh, if I ever find myself at peace with Satan and I'm happy with, with what he's, the temptations and the things that I'm being engaged with with him and he's tempting me, then I am obviously at war with God. And, and my standing in truth and, 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 and my protection and righteousness is not available to me because I am not walking in what I know to be walking in. And therefore, I am susceptible to every fiery dart, to every enemy tactic that he would employ against my life. And so the Bible calls us to this. Examine yourselves to see 
whither you are in the faith. David said it in the Psalms, Lord, search me and know my heart. Here's a man of experience, and all of us are, right? That one day he's the conquering warrior for God, and everybody's celebrating him, and he's worshiping the Lord in, in complete abandonment to the point of embarrassing his wife. Uh, because he's just so into God and worshiping God, doesn't care what other people are thinking about it, you know? And, and the next day, he's taking another man's wife into his chambers. And then, and then because he can't fix that problem, is having to have that man killed on the battlefield. And we don't have to go any further than read Psalms 51 to understand the tragedy and the pain of us being caught without our helmet of salvation, loins girt about with truth, breastplate of righteousness, sword of the Spirit, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It is agonizing to understand the, the, the story behind the story when you read Psalms 51 and you see the pain and the anguish of someone who has fallen who once was in right standing with the Lord, who once was in righteousness, and now they have fallen and they're unrighteous. Our public profession must match our righteous living. The breastplate was crucial. It obviously covers the chest as a, as a piece of armor, you know, but this is... This is uh, so important for us to understand as believers, it covered the vital organs, it covered the heart and the lungs. A, a very strong reminder for us of how the complete pardon of the Lord Jesus Christ over our sins has co combined with the integral work within our lives in terms of our character. And these things are then, you know, as the old commentator said, kind of woven together into an intrinsic impenetrable mail or chain mail, a, a breastplate of righteousness that is impenetrable by the darts of the enemy. If ever our, our shield misses one of them and it strikes against uh, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, it falls helplessly to the ground. We are secured in our armor. He says that you should put on what he calls the shoes of peace, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, Josephus, uh, the historian, I have a picture of it here, had described the footwear of the troops, and apparently they, they used to give them essentially a hob-nailed uh, boot uh, that had studs on the bottom, and it's uh, like what this picture is. And it would allow them to progress over long distances at significant speed. It's why, one of the reasons why the Roman army was so successful. And, uh, you know, they, the, the enemy would, would scout out and find that they're uh, so far away. And they would say they're two days away. And then within 24 hours, they're right on top of them. Because this army was moving with great speed, with great effectiveness. And, and as a result of that, they would catch the enemy off guard. We have pictures of this in the Bible of, of believers, of followers of Christ, uh, catching the enemy off guard. Uh, the traps that were laid uh, sometimes for the, the enemies that, the, that they were battling, Israel was battling, and you can see 
uh, how they just got caught up in this, this mess and, and God prevailed and it was victorious uh, for uh, the ones that, uh, for Israel as, as God was leading them and directing them. And throughout the Bible, we see these pictures of how believers were able to, uh, you know, kind of flank the enemy <laughs> and, and take new dark territory. Our missionaries have been doing this now uh, you know, for years, have been engaging out in the field. And every time that, that the enemy comes up with a, you know, a, a stance that you can't come here, there are countries that have outlawed Christianity. You cannot come here. You cannot bring a Bible here. My brother and a group from our church when we were in, at, at Christ Church uh, carried Bibles across uh, into China. And uh, they had them hidden in their clothing all over the place, you know. And uh, they were carrying them to churches. There were churches that only had like the Gospel of John or maybe just one chapter of John. They had split the Bible up and handed it off as they were planting churches. And so they only had one section to preach of. That is another example of this inexhaustibility of the Bible. What if they tore out the, you know, the John chapter 1 and, and that's all I had to preach on? We would have service every Sunday. <laughs> it's inexhaustible. It's amazing. And, and so my brother, they were carrying the Bible in, you know, because uh, the, the, the enemy said, here's how I will stop the word of God from coming in. And it just keeps flooding in and invading in and pouring in. And uh, it's amazing. Every time the enemy comes up with a plan to stop how God invades and, and flanks the enemy. And so their shoes were important. The shield of faith. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. It's interesting, uh, you know, how he uses the word categorically, you know, the word all. And, and it's that little word all. In, in all circumstances, to extinguish all the flaming darts. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Take up the shield of faith in all, all, all. And now, what is this, this, this shield of faith? And and we have a picture up here that is, uh, doesn't really do justice to uh, what we're talking about. But you've seen the old movies where they have the little, uh, you know, uh, shields and they have, uh, you know, maybe something that, that looks a little bit like a large knife and they're fighting, you know. Uh, this was not that. <laughs> uh, there is a word for that, but the word that's used here is not that word. The word that is used here was to talk about a shield that is, um, you know, is about uh, four feet in length, and it was about two and a half feet wide. It was constructed by two layers of wood, and the wood was then glued together. It was covered, uh, first of all, with linen, and then the linen was covered in hide or, or leather, and, and then it was bound at the top and at the bottom with iron. That's a give you a modern day picture this is very much like you carrying around your kitchen door come on come get me you imagine how strong these guys were <laughs> i've got the kitchen door come on <laughs> let's go and they're not holding a little stick of a, a a sword either they have a big sword that's heavy and and they're prepared and they're ready to go to go to battle and that's how much protection was, was behind this. And you, you feel pretty safe sometimes behind these solid core doors, you know, to a certain extent, don't you? Behind my, my, I'm in my house and the front door and the, you know, the back door are locked and they're, they're strong. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm secured here. 
And they felt uh, secured when they had their shield out in front of them. The enemies were out in front. And that's the way we are, spiritually speaking. Shield of faith out in front of us like a kitchen door. <laughs> Come on, enemy. He can't even see you, most of you, because you're not tall enough. You even look over the kitchen door, right? You're looking around, and, and he's firing darts, and he can't get you. It's an awesome, awesome picture, isn't it? Then he says, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, this is the helmet that was made of bronze and of iron. Uh, it had a lining in the, on the inside, either of felt or of sponge, that would help uh, with the weight of it, make it a little more bearable, because they marched uh, with this, this, this helmet on to protect them. It was reinforced um, in, in, in uh, you know, you, you may have seen the movies again, you know, the hinged visors, some, many of them had that uh, available, and, and it would take, you know, a, a strong tool to penetrate this, right? So for the most part, the enemy's battling, and, and their tools, you know, are just swords and things are just bouncing off this, this, this uh, helmet. It's, it's powerful. It's deflecting all of the blows that they're trying to inflict, giving uh, the, 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 the valiant soldier a chance to turn and deal with that situation in the midst of a battle. A helmet of salvation, protection for the head, and protection for the mind. And perhaps uh, we should think about what Paul wrote in the First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, uh, when we think about the helmet of salvation. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now again, when, when he uses the word hope, he's talking about the reality that, that we experienced right now, but really only in part because the ultimate reality of it awaits us. It's ahead of us. Something that, you know, we learned in, in junior high Sunday school. If you take notes today in your Bible or whatever, you can write these down. It would be very helpful. I remember writing it down as a young man, and I've uh, remembered it over the years. And here's what they taught us. I have been saved from the sins penalty. That is justification. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. You know, just as if I had never sinned, right? <laughs> Standing right in the presence of God. And then secondly, I am being saved from sin's power. That is sanctification. There's a daily work. So don't get completely upset with me. I'm not done yet. God's working on me day by day. But I am addressing those things. And I want to apologize and live. I'm sorry when I make mistakes. Uh, because God's still working on me and I'm letting him, right? And then third... I will be saved from sin's presence. That is glorification. That's as Christ's return. You know, we're going to be completely free from sin. You and I have never known what peace is really all about. Can you imagine when Christ sets up for the millennial reign on planet Earth, and it says the lion and the lamb lay down together, you know? That's a weird picture. <laughs> we have never known not having the stress and the pressure, and the worry. You know, did I lock the car? Did I lock my house? Should I walk down that alley? <laughs> there is constantly decisions that you and I are making because of sin on this planet. Do I have my wallet? Did, did somebody get my uh, card number? Were they looking over my shoulder when I punched in my number? Those little 
safety plastic rubber flaps and put in my four numbers. Nobody knows what they are, right? <laughs> we are constantly fearful. And can you imagine not having to worry? You can walk by anybody. It doesn't matter what they look like, uh, what they're acting, what they're carrying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be complete security and safety. Sin will have no power. And then he says the sword of the Spirit. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, uh, do what Jesus did when he was confronted in the wilderness. Do what the psalmist says that we should do. Hide God's Word in your heart. Know God's Word. Hide it in your heart. But here's the deal. If, if I don't know it, I can't use it. If I, don't, if I don't know it, I can't use it. You have to know what it says. You have to have it stored up in your heart. This is, you know, uh, young people that might be present in the room. You don't want to go out without the Word of God. You're going out without any weaponry whatsoever. And adults in the room, you don't want to go out in, in, in the world without the Word of God. You have no way of defending yourself. David said, I've stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He says later in the Psalms, I will never forget your precepts, uh, for by them... You have given me life. This book is essential. And it's not just one to set on our shelves. It's, it's one that we should be studying, reading, understanding, putting in our heart. I love what, uh, what Michael was saying today. And, and many of these things I have memorized over the years. And I know he has memorized some passages. When you read and read, it's not like I sit there and go, can I memorize these? But you read again and again and again through the Scriptures. And you say to yourself, I love that. And then suddenly it begins to just come as you need it. As, as you need it as a resource, God brings it through you. And you can, you can say, you know, uh, the, those passages by heart. The Lord is my light and my life. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And all these passages come rushing out in the, in the moment and the time in which you need them because you have put them in your heart. You know them and you're saying them. And then finally, this is one of the pieces of armor I think that we missed, the last one here. Praying at all times in, in the Spirit, while prayer and supplication. I love that the ladies are coming together to talk about uh, prayer and, and to be women of prayer and uh, we're going to follow that guys we have a, a men's thing we'll be announcing next week that we'll follow that we'll meet after the ladies we'll let them do it and then on monday nights we'll we'll meet and and gather but the uh this is essential to learn to pray to give ourselves completely to god to invite him into the battlefield we've been given it's interesting here in this passage what we see is we've been given not a something because up until this point, you know, we've been talking about like the somethings, you know, the, the helmet and, and the sword and, and the shield. And it's at this point that he says, I'm not just giving you a something, I'm giving you a someone. Yes. That someone is the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Jesus said it's expedient to his disciples after he had resurrected. It's expedient that I go away or he won't come. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to be your super conscience. He's going to guide you. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be your strength and power to, to execute through you uh, the work that God has called you to do. 
Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise and, the, and, and His glory. Holy Spirit praying and interceding through us. We're not fighting by might. We're not fighting by power, but God says we're fighting by His Spirit. Invited into every circumstance, every situation. I'm asking the, uh, our worship team to come.